This is Brian Carney, your host of the Developing Founders podcast. Today, I had a fascinating conversation with an entrepreneur from East Africa, Mark Mwangi, that I think you're really going to love. I learned a lot about transportation costs in Africa, struggles and successes in fundraising in Africa, as well as issues that are unique to small shop owners in countries all across the continent. Amitruck is a company that's going to be really fun to watch grow over the coming years. Uh, so without further ado, let's dive into the podcast. Mark Mwangi is a Kenyan entrepreneur and co-founder of Amitruck, a peer-to-peer -peer trucking service. He has spent time in finance as an analyst and as a portfolio manager before making the pivot into startups. One interesting fact is that he has his private pilot's license. Mark, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you. I guess what I want to start with is the private pilot's license. How did that come about? I'm just interested. Yeah. So when I first got into banking, one of the things that very quickly became apparent was there was going to be a lot of trouble. And I was really a nervous flyer. So I was always scared of flying. It wasn't something I'd done in any magnitude before. And so to get myself comfortable, I had, I had a fear of flying. So I just did a pilot's license. That took care of it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would say it would. <laughs> what was the first lesson like? I had this 80-something-year-old flying instructor, and he just absolutely didn't care. <laughs> he only <laughs> intervened when you absolutely were almost deaf. <laughs> Oh man, that would be that would be horrifying. <laughs> it was really good because it meant that you know you really developed your confidence quickly because he let you do so much before he yeah. jumped. Yeah, I guess that that does make a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I had to had to start with that because I saw that tidbit and that just fascinated me. But really, the the point of the show is to go a little bit into your experience as an entrepreneur and Amitruck. So just tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, now, and then we can go from there. Okay, so Amitruck is marketplace for deliveries. So uh, it enables us to connect customers directly with uh, cargo owners, directly with transporters. Mm -hmm. And when the, the problem that we're trying to solve is the fact that the cost of transport uh, for goods sold in Africa can be up to 70%. And to oh, bring wow. that point home, um, something like 65% of the cost of toothpaste on the shelves in the shops here is transport. And 80% of that happens by road. And most of that cost is actually on this side. Uh, by this side, I mean the African side of it. And the reason, at least one of the reasons, is because you can have up to three middlemen between a transporter and a cargo owner. Um, and these guys not only consume sometimes more than half of the delivery fee, they also introduce a layer of complexity uh, and a lack of transparency in the whole process, which means that, you know, if something gets lost, damaged or stolen, it becomes quite difficult to get to the bottom of it. Additionally, when we started, we thought, you know, you see all these trucks on the side of the road, it's a bit inefficient. There wasn't a sort of one convenient place to go and look, get conveniently and efficiently and competitively priced transport. And so what Amitrak does is it tries to sit in that gap, 
to bridge that by connecting transporters directly with customers, cuts out expensive middlemen. It allows drivers to competitively submit quotes to do the deliveries. And then on top of that, we vet the vehicles, we vet the drivers, we provide goods in transit insurance. If you use one of the mobile app or our online application, it is a convenient, efficient, uh, competitively priced, secure form of transportation for our car owners. Yeah, wow, that is a massive transportation cost. I didn't I didn't know it was quite so high. Do you have initial numbers as to what Emmy truck lowers the transportation cost to? Yeah, I mean I can give you what our customers experience has been so far and what we've seen is most of our customers are saving somewhere between 25 and 40%. Wow. Wow, that's huge. When did you initially start thinking of the idea when did it come up and how did how did all of that come about um i guess we i was talking to family members in the cement business and they are uh, obviously heavy users of trucks moving cement in and out of the factories into hardware stores and construction sites around the country they expressed to me the problem and i sort of spent sort of you know, two to three months driving around the country, uh, meeting different transporters, meeting different cargo owners. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, industry members, wholesalers, um, and just sort of sitting down and, and trying to understand mm-hmm. what was the issue, what was the problem. And it was in, in inspecting those manual tedious processes that they went through and recognizing the broker issue that the idea of setting up Amitra came up. Yeah. And at that time, you were at a different startup. Is that correct? Yeah. So when I initially left the city, I got together with two friends and my younger brother. And we set up a startup that basically dealt within trying to automate uh, wholesale gas trades in Europe. Hmm. Wow. Okay. And the major challenge with that was whilst I had the uh, market expertise from my days in the city, right. the speed with which those customers could move was really slow. So you yeah. would sort of go present to a big oil and gas major and they would say to you, this is great. Why don't you come back in 2022 when we do our digital sell? Yeah, that makes sense. So tell me a little bit about your time in the city, how that came about. I'm interested in particularly when you made the decision to go into startups? Okay, so my time in the city, I, I sort of left Kenya quite young. Due to unfortunate family circumstances, I was independent in London at quite a young age. And to put myself through my maths degree, I actually drove a truck at night full-time in and around the airport. So not a very big truck, but a truck all the same. And... Um, because I did my maths degree full-time and drove a truck at night full-time, uh, when I applied for jobs in investment banking, I sort of got in to the graduate programs. And at that time, you know, I was focused on that career. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I think it was a great place to learn about business. It was a great place to understand how economies work, financial models, and, you know. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a while. I actually got the opportunity to work on a private equity desk. So I ran a mine in Canada, uh, which I sold the Chinese. <laughs> this mine was in Novos, Newfoundland, in a place called Ganda. Okay. <laughs> Pretty cold. Huh. 
Um, <laughs> yes. I also ran a, an oil drilling business in Ecuador, and I ran a startup dredging business in China. And all I can say is that experience got me a lot of air miles. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still flying in the past I should have on the back of those. <laughs> but in and around 2016, I had a few personal losses. A couple of friends passed away. And I think it was a blessing in disguise because it made me inspect the life I was living, you know, sort of 60, 80 hour weeks, not really making anything, just spending your days worrying about the portfolio and new positions you're going to buy in the market. Um, and it just made me question, you know, what, what, what life meant and, and what I wanted to get out of it. And so I decided to absolutely destroy my life and come to Africa and try and solve a real problem <laughs> and try and get wow. some meaning out of life. And, and I think I actually learned to always question my 80-year-old self with regards to how I had spent my time and enriching a bunch of already wealthy firms and institutions whilst uh, honorable just didn't cut it. So... I thought yeah. I'd rather come back home. I want to solve a real problem. I want to contribute and try and um, and live my impact and my footprint, build something in Africa. Yeah, absolutely. Even even though you you might not have felt fulfilled, I can imagine that was a really difficult decision because um, startups aren't easy, even if you're tackling a, a much smaller problem than a sixty to seventy percent transportation cost. So I can imagine that took a little bit of time was, am I right in that? Was it a few months in coming or did you pretty much make the switch pretty quickly and decide, you know what, I need to move back and, and build something? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I sort of spent maybe two years feeling discontent. I think I was trying to sort of ask myself, what's the right thing to do, which is a wrong question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because the reason why the decision, these sort of decisions in life, according to me, uh, are difficult is because there isn't a right answer. You know, you can sort right. of stay in banking, great wages, a great pay, good job, nice parks. And I guess you can call it just, just going with the flow. Or you can shake things up and, and do something yeah. different, do something interesting, leave, a, leave your mark on the world. And the, the problem was that there was no right answer. You couldn't go and sort of look in the crystal ball and, and work out what your, which future is better, right? So I think, I think what really, really helped me was understanding the nature of a difficult decision, which was the answer was actually not in the question. The answer was in me. And trying to understand the fact that it's up to what I want to get out of, out of, out of it that mattered. And what I wanted out of it was to challenge myself and try something different and experience something else. And I think the other thing was that you can always get more money, but you can't always get more time. You can't always get more life. And when you look at it that way, then, you know, jumping was a lot easier. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. You said when you were at uh, the university, you drove a truck at night. That's kind of interesting. That it kind of almost comes full circle. Is there a, a portion of that that you've been able to use with Amatrek, that experience? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I think even if I did it over there, uh, over there being London, now I, in Kenya, I think there are a lot of frustrations and, and lessons that you can bring across. So I understood what an efficient, really well-run 
tracking process look like and um, comparing what happens over there and what happens here in Kenya uh, means that that exposure can be used to frame what does a really good solution look like. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't any problems in London, but there are a lot more challenges on this end. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Which that's kind of is a good bridge into what I want to get into a little bit was just the building of Amitrek would be there are a lot of challenges that you had to go through. Um, and one that that stood out to me is I was going through your platform and it said that every delivery has insurance through the company. What did that look like securing that and really helping get that trust of your customer base? Yeah, we actually launched the app without insurance. And every time we presented it to a new customer in the initial phases, I was selling it myself. Um, and you walk into a shop and you'd say, look, we have this cool app. You can now deliver stuff to your customers with us. And immediately the insurance issue came up. Right. Uh, I guess it's also worth pointing out that e-commerce and digital stuff is still very new in Africa. And they're still trying to develop the sort of trust you take for granted when you use Amazon right. uh, in the West. Right. And so we set about trying to get this product put together and... Uh, I'll be honest, when we, we, we probably had to speak to 30 or 40 different insurance companies and brokers uh, before we found someone with the uh, ability to innovate and give us what we wanted. Most of the companies were very traditional. So you sort of say, I need BT Transit cover. I want to try and uh, provide insurance for a truck I don't own, for goods I don't own, for somebody I'm not really related to. <laughs> right. And that's just really provided some uh, real big challenges. But then eventually, we, like everything else, we, we managed to break through and, and, and we got a provider that was willing to uh, get some, uh, take some insurance risk off us. Yeah, that, uh, I can imagine those conversations were, were not easy. Insurance companies are, are quite possibly the most conservative of companies for sure. <laughs> I mean, forget the insurance company. I mean, you lost people at what you were trying to do. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You wouldn't even understand what you were trying to do. You, you're, you're a what? <laughs> and then you sort of try to explain the, the platform and, and how it works. And, and you lost people there already. Mm -hmm. And actually, on a couple of occasions, you would end up debating the criteria and, and logic of the business model oh boy. rather than... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. rather than the insurance. That was really frustrating. <laughs> I, I can imagine. So what has the like, customer adoption been like? What has your growth been like? Yeah. In terms of adoption, you know, you'll sort of notice there's quite a lot of downloads on the Google Store. Um, we've probably made deliveries now for over 200 different businesses. Uh, we have uh, about a month ago completed our 10,000th delivery Wow. We have, despite quite a significant impact from COVID in Q1 of last year, uh, I know the articles are saying 300%, but if you compare December 2020 with December 2019, we were a magnitude well over five times larger. Wow. So we still wanted to grow the business. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we now, we've gone from sort of a two, three man band. <laughs> and, in my little brother's living room to uh, 
a team of almost 20 people. So Wow. Wow. That's a huge growth in, in a pretty short amount of time. So is your, your typical customer, are they like a mid to large size factory? Are they small shop owners, a little bit of everything? I think it's a little bit of everything. Of course, if you look at the volume on the amount of goods being moved around, mm -hmm. the bigger customers command more right. of it. Um, but we have everything from uh, sole uh, proprietors moving one or two items a month hmm. to large customers moving tens and tens of loads a day. Wow. And, and, and we're really uh, happy to have that, yeah. that, that support for the application. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that makes a lot of sense on the, the factory and the customer side. How does Amitruck make their money and try to get to profitability over time? Yeah, so we actually take, uh, we actually add on a commission to every delivery that, that, that happens in the application. Generally speaking, it's it's not very high. It's it's in and around ten percent. Oh wow! So yeah, if you're saving them forty percent, is that saving them twenty five to forty percent after the fee? Um, I mean, either way, it pays Correct. for itself. Wow, that's uh, that's substantial. That's that's fascinating. So I guess one question that's kind of the elephant in the room is: recently, you. Uh, raised a little bit of funding. I promised we wouldn't go into it too much, but but I do have to know a little bit. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so uh, we were planning to come into the market for funding sort of Q2 this year, mm -hmm. but then we had some inbound interest and it was quite, it was it was almost a compliment because the investor, uh, one of the investors called Dynamo VC. Dynamo are specialists in uh, supply chain, logistics, mobility sort of space. And this guy sort of came up. And for the first time, uh, we were engaged uh, by a VC in a very different manner. Hmm. They did a lot of due diligence. They spoke to a lot of uh, our references. And, you know, they put money on the table. And, you know, during the pandemic, to get a strategic investor who understands the space, yeah. who's built a business and sold it in the space who has a unicorn in the space in the portfolio mm -hmm. was, was uh, a big boost to our confidence and yeah. great support to get on board. We had been speaking to plug and play ventures for over a year mm -hmm. and they were keen to follow on, which is literally what they do. Mm -hmm. And then much to our lovely surprise, I guess, of the five advisors on the board, three supported Wow. And also, so we ended up doing a pre-seed round to grow the business as much as we can before we come to the market for a seed round. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So you were talking a little bit earlier about how COVID presented some challenges. What did that look like uh, when we hit the shutdown? How, how did that affect your business? Badly. Um, <laughs> So uh, the, the impact of COVID in Kenya was we had supply chain disruptions from inputs into industry. Uh, the ports had problems. We do a lot of business with China and the Far East, and a lot mm -hmm. of those lines were disrupted. Yeah. Uh, locally, we had boundaries put up between Kenya and its neighboring countries, Uganda and Tanzania. Mm -hmm. We also had uh, internal boundaries because most of the virus was spreading in and around uh, the main cities, uh, specifically in Nairobi and Mombasa. So you couldn't actually cross out of the city. Oh, and wow. so you can imagine being transport, you had long border queues for trucks 
you had yeah. very little movement, uh, movement restrictions in and out of the main business districts. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's where we make our bread and butter. So, right. you know, we definitely saw the business, maybe not half, but uh, pretty close. Wow. And then what did the recovery look like? How did, because uh, if you said you're, you 5X, you must have recovered pretty well from that. I mean, the I wouldn't say recovered pretty well, but the team regrouped. One of the things that happened in that period that I really am very proud about was the team met and you had all these people getting laid off. And, and, and we agreed that uh, we would take as big a pay cut as needed to keep everybody employed. So yeah. I knew I had that in my back pocket going into the pandemic. Uh, but then you had all these traditional, traditionally run businesses who suddenly realized logistics wasn't just a cost center anymore. It was a competitive advantage. It kept you moving. Huh. And as these yeah. guys changed, you know, it was quite nice to be able to step in and, and say to them, yeah, great, but, you know, here's a solution you can use to try and walk through the complexity of what's going on in the market at the time. Wow. Yeah, there's kind of two things that stick out to me there. The one is that is pretty incredible that the team would would be open to that and come together in that time. I think that that says a lot about the team you have in place for sure. And the second is I love that pivot to knowing that the the solution you provide is not only saving them money, but it's a huge advantage when there is something like a lockdown. That that's uh that's interesting. So I guess I also just want to know a little bit about your early life. Did you always think you were going to be an entrepreneur? Was banking kind of your plan um, initially? What what was that uh, goal you had when you were young? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I've I'd, I'd gone through a period of uh, how shall I? There's no, there's no nice way to sugarcoat it. I've gone through a period of suffering <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, going through having very little money. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, younger, I was out to make as much money as I could out of my math degree. And banking provided me with that platform. Um, and it's easy, it's easier said than done. But I, I guess you kind of have to have, have had a little bit to say it's not everything. Uh, having gone through banking and understood what that was like, I then I, I felt like I went up a ladder and I was in the wrong building. That's interesting. That's a a descriptive way to put it. What did that? that yeah, that's very interesting. So I guess now is kind of a, a good time uh, that we can transition into the final uh, portion of the interview, which is the the final five questions that I'm going to be asking every person who sits down for an interview. Uh, and it'll just be a good way to, to get to know a little bit more about you and uh, also provide some good recommendations to the audience. So the first one is, what is your favorite business book? Yeah, I think I'd have to say, how will you measure your life by Christopher Christensen? It's maybe not very mm-hmm. original, one of the greatest mm-hmm. things. Unfortunately, I think we lost him last year. Yeah. Um, but I think it draws a lot of life lessons that are applicable in personal life, that are applicable in business life with regards to how to look at the long and, and, and short-term investments we make and how to think through not looking at things too short term and not compromising uh, 
small compromises eventually lead to really big compromises. So yeah, yeah, I, I definitely recommend how will I measure my life. Okay, that makes sense. What's the the biggest takeaway you had from it? I've never thought about the balance of uh, home life and work. And one of the things he points out is that, you know, most, most employed people and most entrepreneurs spend most of their time at work. And, and they do that because it's a quite a quick payoff. You finish a deal, you sign another contract, mm-hmm. you send an email, and, mm-hmm. and that feels like you're making progress. But you mm-hmm. do it at the expense of spending time with your loved ones, your family, because mm-hmm. when you spend time with your kids, you know, you don't see the payback today, you see the payback in 20 years. Right. And there are very many tenants that you can get from that because even in business, the really big opportunities aren't always the ones you do on the day. They're the ones right. that are based on the quality of your team, the character, the culture of the business. And these things take time. They're difficult. They don't pay off day one. But 10 years mm-hmm. down the line, you a great institution. So I felt like there were lessons there on both sides that were quite important. Yeah, uh, I actually have not read that book. I'm going to have to add it to my list. That, uh, He's worth reading and any, any podcast or any YouTube video is, yeah. is worth, it's definitely worth watching. Okay, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely find a podcast to listen to today. So that brings us to our second question, which this one we might have answered earlier, but if there's another one, I'd be interested. It, it is, what is one hobby that many people might not think that you have? We'll say besides flying, because we, we cheated and told that one early. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a very poor player of the saxophone. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm frequently deafening my partner at home. <laughs> <laughs> there you but go. Yeah. When did you start picking up that? Oh my, I, I started playing maybe four years ago. Okay. And I'm sort of on and off. So I get periods when I'm really into it. And then I get periods when I'm not. Yeah. And I'm never going to be great because I refuse to play the sort of the Baba Black ships. And <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That sort of thing. I'm, I'm always trying to jump into jazz, and, but I enjoy it. And the, the reason I like it is almost the same as flying, which mm-hmm. is, it's almost like meditation because you mm-hmm. really have to focus on you're doing and it gives your mind a break from you know your everyday life and right. you come out of it feeling really refreshed so huh yeah that makes sense that that makes sense what was it about the saxophone in particular that's a, a definitely a unique instrument to pick up yeah so i've always just liked it i grew up listening to kenny g yeah. and then i found uh-huh. other people uh, and then, you know, as you understand jazz standards, you know, the, the Frank Sinatra's and, and stuff like that, you really begin mm-hmm. to appreciate how that music was much deeper than what we do today. So if you try to play like some of the recent pop culture, you know, you can just do it. It's really quick. The music's not that deep. Uh, as you play right. some of the jazz standards, you begin to understand just how much thought, creativity, art, went into making the music mm. and that's what makes it so special because you can use a saxophone to bring some of that best out of those tunes if unlike me you can really play <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting yeah that's definitely a unique hobby i like that so i guess that brings us to our our third question which is who is your business idol or mentor so this one's really difficult uh because it's got to be warren buffett and charlie manga um, I think mm-hmm. the, the wisdom that they put forward is just mm-hmm. 
way out there, even if they're in a slightly different field. And I think, you know, the statements that he makes can be so powerful. You know, things like, it takes a lifetime to build character and a moment to break it down, you know, uh, focus on what you're passionate about, always tell the truth. So there, there are very many lessons you can learn just by sitting there and watching their annual shareholder meeting or reading any of their business books. I think they're great, great mentors. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I read... Uh... Poor Charlie's Almanac for the first time last year, and uh, I, I loved that. I couldn't believe how much that book cost. Oh, it's it's insane! I, I bought, it. I got a used one, and it was still ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had no, I didn't know much about Charlie Munger to be honest before reading that book, um, and I think he's just as fascinating as Warren Buffett, if not more, in a lot of ways. And he's funnier. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's uh, got a really good sense of humor. Yeah, that's that's interesting. The, that'll bring us to kind of our fourth question, which is, what is your first memory of money or capital? Yeah, so this one is really, I guess, uh, it made me scratch my head for a little bit. And actually, my first memory of money was my mom putting coins in a handkerchief and sending me to the shops hmm. to buy stuff like salt. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, it's a ridiculously low amount of money. It was like, it must have been like 10 cents uh-huh. equivalent in coins. Uh, and I'd go out, I'll, I'll walk all the way to the shop and they could barely see me. I must have been four. <laughs> and you sort of stick the coins up on the counter. Yeah. And then they found them out to you. And I guess it was a different time as well, where you were in a community, you lived in a much more cohesive society than we do today. So they knew who you are. Yeah. yeah. They knew who they were. They knew my name. <laughs> and they'd count them all out and they'd measure the salt out and give it to you. And then you'd walk back and huh. your mom would make you pull the coins out. That's sort of my yeah. first memory of money. Yeah. Wow. That's being sent to the shops. <laughs> that's interesting. That's, that's a really. I like that memory. It says a lot about the the beauty of what communities can be, for sure. Um, to to send a, a four or five year old to to get groceries is that's a beautiful thing, for sure. I wouldn't say groceries; it's just one thing, and it could be a match walk. You know, <laughs> you want exactly to be trusted with a list here. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And that'll bring us to kind of our, our final question of the five. And then we can let you get back to your day. But that is, what is your favorite quote and why? I did not think about this one. <laughs> Are there any uh, stories or anything like that that uh, could, could take the place of that, even if it's not a quote? Yeah, I think I can't remember the quote right now that I want to say, but I think Obama said it when he spoke about the role that luck plays in our success. Mm-hmm. And when I think about achievements in life, I'm aware that it feels like 99% of it was, was hard work and 1% was luck. Yeah. But I've just come to recognize that actually 99% of it is luck. Mm-hmm. But the 1% of hard work is unavoidable. Yeah. So huh. you've got to be having the hard work. But the fact that you got to where you are, depending on where you went to school, when you were born, what sex you are, what school you went to, what teachers you had, what friends you mingle with, 
Yeah. You know, if you were doing a probability equation, it would be off, 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 which is multiply, multiply. And you end up with some small magnitude of chance that you had the success you have. And I think remembering that allows people to remain quite humble yeah. in how they deal with those that didn't make it. Because the problem I have with meritocracy is whilst it celebrates the fact that those who may have merit ultimately also suggests that those that didn't make it deserved it. <laughs> yeah. It's an awful way to think about life. But That's if you true. remember the fact that you were really lucky and that society, God, happen chance had a lot to do with your success, yeah. it gives you a much more empathetic view of life and achievement hmm. and allows you to see people in more than just what they've accomplished. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Does that does part of that play into the way you're building your business? And, and if so, how? Well, I think it's just in the approach of how we deal with people and mm-hmm. the level of emotional intelligence we try to employ and just trying not to ever get too arrogant about any achievements we make. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, again, like I said, I'll, I'll let you get back to your day. Don't want to take up too much of your time, but I appreciate you you making some time this evening, and hopefully we will be able to touch base again in, in a year, and you'll be five x where you are now again. And I'll be I'll be excited to see that. Thanks very much, Brian. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Cheers. As always, thank you for joining in our conversation. If you have any recommendations on guests for the show or any comments on this episode, or if you would like to be on the show yourself, email me at podcast at studentsofbusiness.com. To get our show notes and to be alerted on the release of new episodes, hit that subscribe or follow button in your favorite podcast player or go to developingfounders.com and subscribe to our email list. Thanks for joining and I'll see you next week.